fictionalized version. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Skip Lineberg. My family and I came here about 12 years ago to River Ridge Church. My daughter, Chloe, uh, who's 20, my son, Sherman, who's about to turn 17, and my wife, Lisa, who is my wife. She is in um, River Camp this morning serving. I, I used to work back in the AV booth. If my face looks familiar, I was back there in the booth where Aaron is sitting for about 10 years. I was had a lot of fun. Um, really blessed to do that. Last two years, I've been working in men's ministry groups, co-leading and leading men's small group ministry. Uh, I do know a little something about work. Like I said, I've worked a really long time. Secondly, I got my college degree in work engineering, industrial engineering, which is all about making work more efficient and more effective. So, yeah, I guess I have a little bit of credibility. And, you know, Matt, he, he knows I'm 56, and he said I started working when I'm 16, so I worked for, what, 40 years, right? But he didn't know that I got a special work permit. This is how much I love work, how much I care about work. To start working at age 15, I got something from the Labor Department called a work permit so I could buy gasoline and drive a car. So 41 years. Anyway, here we are in the second week of our Wiser series. We're going to talk about work today. This is a five-week series where we're going to look into areas of our life where a little extra wisdom can make a big difference in our lives. Kind of like that dollar club, that one dollar makes a big difference. A little extra wisdom that you might pick up here this morning can make a big difference in your life. Wisdom is something that fascinates me. Those who know me pretty well know that I have a podcast about wisdom. It's called The Main Thing Podcast. We've published 70 episodes. I, I find the wisest people I know and interview them and try to glean the wisdom that they have to share, ask them some really tough soul-searching questions, and then we publish it as a podcast. In that, I've studied wisdom a lot, so here's how I describe wisdom. It's an incredibly valuable asset, and some would say more precious than gold. Last week, Matt shared a message on marriage. Today, I'll be talking about work, as, as we told you. Other topics we're going to cover in the remaining three weeks will be money, wisdom about money, family, and words. So I'm, today, I'm really excited to share some thoughts and ideas and scripture about work. Work is mentioned in the Bible like 35,000 times. That's an exaggeration, but it's like one of the most frequent topics. And Jesus used work examples as his most common illustration or parable. It's everywhere in the Bible. So it's really important. Here's the bottom line right up front. I'm going to give you three things. This is going to be the foundation of where we're going to be this morning. Number one, we spend a ton of time at work. We'll look into that. Number two... Given that, we'd better be wise about how we approach work. And then number three, work consists of different roles and contexts. It's not just being an employee. Let's check in on that for a minute. For some of you, like me, work is being employed by a company. We go to, most of us go to a place to work. That might be an office, a store. Maybe you're a school teacher, so you go to a school building. Maybe you're in the military. Thank you for your service. If so, you go to a military base or maybe an industrial plant. So lots of different places for employees to go. Some of you are business owners, and you own your own business. You might have employees. You might not. It might be a solo enterprise. It might be a place. It might be remote. It might be a brewery, Five Street Brewery. Yeah. Business owners, yes. Still others of you are students. Your work, work for you, is obtaining an education. 
a college degree, a high school diploma, a certification, a certificate in a trade or, or technical degree. Hey, let's give a congratulations to all of our recent graduates, whether high school or college, from River Ridge. Congratulations to all of you. Still others, there's a couple more contexts for work. Still others are retired. Any retirees in here, you didn't stop working, did you? <laughs> no, no, no. So for you, it's maybe hobbies, it may be gardening, it may be keeping house, it may be keeping the grandkids, but you're working, right? Well, you're going to learn something today, I promise you. And then last but not least, the hardest working across that whole spectrum, homemakers. Homemakers, the stay-at-home moms and stay-at-home dads. One of my best friends from my whole lifetime is a stay-at-home dad, and he works his butt off. I tell you, you all are the salt of the earth, the fabric of our nation. Thank you for what you do. Now, whichever of these categories you fall into, I promise you're going to walk out of here after 30 minutes with some nuggets of wisdom that you can remember, use, and apply. Okay? That's what we're going to do in the next 25 minutes. Now, here's the risk. Here's the risk. If we're unwise about work, we can get ourselves into some really unhealthy patterns of behavior that will harm us and take us a long time to dig out of, okay? I know this firsthand because I got this wrong for many years. I was unwise about work. I had more blind spots than a visually impaired Dalmatian. <laughs> Let that process in your brain for a minute. Hey, let me share a snapshot with you, not of that blind Dalmatian, bless its little heart, but of me Okay, in 2009, I had to bail out, full honesty, I had to bail out on my company that I had founded 10 years prior. I had to bail out. I was failing. I was stressed out. Uh, I was on antidepressants, riddled with anxiety. I had something called pain, pain, uh, panic attacks. Look at that. Can't even say it. Panic attacks, where I would just start sweating profusely at the worst possible time, randomly, didn't know when it would come on. And then my heart rate would skyrocket to, like, faster than it did if I was doing a CrossFit workout. Just horrible, horrible, horrible. On prescription antidepressants, had to be. It gets worse. I had overspent, overinvested in a fancy car, fancy suits, had a closet full of fancy suits, and way underinvested in my family, way underinvested in Lisa, Chloe, and Sherman. It wasn't because I didn't love them. It was because I was unwise about work. I was trying to do it all on my own. I didn't know any better. I didn't know any better. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that. But adding, before I go there, Lisa would call me at the office during that period of time. It's 6.55, okay? It's already past dinner time. It's getting dark or already dark. Honey, are you coming home tonight? You going you gonna to be able to see the kids today at all before maybe tuck them in bed? Oh, shoot, Sherman's already asleep. That's kind of what it looked like. Horrible. I regret it. Adding to that stress and that mess was the fact that I wasn't attending church regularly. I was a member of a local church, not this one. But if Sunday morning rolled around and I was tired, I slept in and our family didn't go to church. I had no prayer life. Didn't have any desire to look at this book right here. No desire to look at this book. And it made no sense to me. I couldn't read scripture. I couldn't understand what was in this book. 
it gets worse. <laughs> it really does. You know, you're like, oh man, that's awful. It gets worse. Let me give you the last part of it. <clears throat> On top of all that, I owed the IRS $91,000 in back debt taxes. $91,000 in tax debt. Other debts too, you're, if you're a business owner, yeah, we had other credit cards and debts and business loans. Wasn't drawing a regular paycheck because we couldn't afford to pay the owners. And there was just no way to work that math to pay that back. It was impossible. Addition, subtraction, normal math did not work. So I was basically bankrupt, wasn't I? Bankrupt. Physically, financially, spiritually bankrupt. That was me. I was a mess, a disaster, any, any way you want to measure it. I was in that situation because I didn't know what I'm going to share with you today. Let's dig into our topic today. How do we take our faith to work? You have an outline, and I invite you to follow along as we, uh, we're going to give you five nuggets of wisdom. They're fill in the blank, so I made it really easy. There's other stuff you might want to write down too. If it strikes you, if it resonates with you, if God puts something on your heart, write it down. Also, if you like to doodle and draw pictures and cartoons, that's cool too. I really like doodlers. Man, if you leave that behind, I'll probably go around and, and check some of those out. So here we go. We're going to dig into how we take our faith to work and how we can be wise about applying our faith at work. Take our faith to work and apply it in our work. Let me pray for us real quick. Father God, we seek to honor you with our work. Help us to understand what that looks like. Thank you for your guidance you've given us in your word, the Holy Scripture. Impart to us the wisdom as we look into your word. Open our hearts and minds today to receive it. And give us the courage to apply it to our lives, to ourselves. Amen. I want to get one thing cleared up right off the bat. Number one, work is not bad. Work is not bad. God created us to work. He made Adam and Eve to tend the garden. He didn't create humans to sit back. Like, he didn't put Adam and Eve there and say, all right, guys, sit back and chill and just behold this beauty. Cherubs and seraphim are going to come by, and if you open your mouth, they're going to drop bonbons and Necco wafers in there. That wasn't the proposition. That's not what God did. That's not what he said. He made Adam and Eve to tend the garden. He made them to do that. Seriously, it's right there in Genesis. If we could put it up on screen, Genesis chapter 2, real early in the book of the Bible, in this first book of the Bible, Genesis, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, so God made us to work. That's just super clear. Super clear. So work is not a bad thing. It doesn't go against God at all, does it? Nope at least not on principle, and work was not created by God to punish us. It wasn't. We'll build that out as we go along this morning. So work is not a bad thing. Don't do it like I did. I'm gonna, we're going to unpack that. We're going to look into the mistakes I made and how you can avoid those, okay? We'll build that out. Not everyone here today in, in person or online, hello. Uh, if you're watching on Facebook Live or YouTube, it's so glad to have you here this morning. And if we haven't met yet, I hope we'll have that chance someday soon, maybe today or later. Not all of you are Christ followers. I know that. That's fine. I'm glad you're here. Um, not all of you believe in Jesus Christ. Not all of you really put much stock in this book, the Bible. That's okay. That's okay. You know what we do all love, what we all have in common? We all love us some stats, statistics. So behold, 
Here are a few statistics about work. Let's start with a simple concept. The basic work week is what? 40-hour work week, right? Given that a work seven days times 24 hours, 160 hours, 168 hours in a week, 40-hour work week, that's 24% of our time. 24%. But you guys are smart. You're already way ahead of me. You're picking up. You're like, it's not just 40 hours. There's attorneys here. There's moms and homemakers here. I don't know, Matt. You've already, you've already kind of spilled the beans on yourself that you don't work 40 hours. But anyway, look, we have to get ready, get dressed, get fed, get there. We have to uh, pack and unpack, travel back and forth. Oh, and what about checking email before and after work? Maybe a few of us do that, right? And every once in a while, you might have to stay late. And every once in a while, you might have to fire up that laptop at like 9.30 at night because you've got to put out a fire, a work fire. It happens, right? So 40 hours, 10 more for the back and forth, and 5 more for that extra work that we just described. That adds up to 55 hours a week. I think that's conservative. And then if we take the new math, 55 over 168, that's 33%. I think it's like 32.8%. Anyway, it's a third of our lives are consumed by work. That's a very significant chunk of time, isn't it? A third of our lives. Dang. All right, second statistic. This one comes from Gallup, the Gallup Research Company. Every year, they do a survey of American workers and workplace attitudes. The 2017 results, which was the last time they did the big mega survey, 195,000 people were interviewed, workers and managers, okay? 195,000. What's the margin of error in here, you math geeks? It's like infinitesimal, isn't it? Yeah. Big sample size, very accurate. Here's what they discovered in 2017, and the percentages haven't changed much since then. Three groups, people, workers fall into three buckets with regard to their attitudes, okay? The first group over here, 33% are engaged. That means they generally like their, their job. When they go to work every day, they're trying to make their company better, and they're trying to do what they're asked to do, engaged, fairly happy. Middle group, 51%, wow, this is a majority, 51% are not engaged, or you could say unengaged. They're there in body, but not in spirit. They show up, they put in their time, they don't cause a lot of trouble but their heart's not in it, okay? That's the middle group. 16% over here is a group that are described as actively disengaged. Not only do they hate their jobs, they're trying to spread that hate to everybody else, and they're tearing down what these people over here are working to build, doing, doing what they're asked to do. These people over here are tearing it down and destroying it. Now, let's, ask, let's add these two segments together. What do you have, 51? And 16, that's 67, right? 67. Two out of every three people in American workers are not happy, not finding happiness or fulfillment or joy in their work. Two out of three. And we just know that we spend a third of our lives working. Two out of three don't find happiness, joy, or fulfillment there. Mm. That's not good, is it? Those statistics are not good. We're not good. We know that work is important, and I told you earlier, you're with me on this, we're leaning into, we would be wise to get it right so we could do it better. So we've looked at Gallup, we've done some math, now look, let's look and see what Scripture says. 
Our primary passage today, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 3. We're going to be hanging out in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. And this is uh, Paul, was the writer, the Apostle Paul. And this is his letter he wrote to the people at Colossae. Quick background on Paul, very brief bio. From Tarsus, tent maker, uh, Pharisee, very educated Jew. Uh, knew the Jewish law, forwards, backwards, and sideways. He could read it, write it, recite it, apply it. Dude was sharp, I'm telling you. And he was a hard worker. He was a tent maker. Paul was an apostle who wrote the majority of the New Testament. Mo- wrote more books than any other person. More books of the Bible than any other writer, any other contributor. Was not one of the 12 original disciples, but he got to hang out with them like a couple years later, so he knew the original 12. That's Paul at a snapshot. He took Christianity, which at the time was called the way, this little experiment of how to live the way Jesus taught, scaled it out from Israel across the rest of the world. So I I put a lot of stock in what Paul has to say. I think he's got credibility. I think he knows uh, what it meant to work hard. He obviously worked hard to study the Jewish law. And I don't know if you've ever tried to stitch leather panels together with a thread and needle, but that's not easy, okay? All right, with that bit of background about Paul, let's look into his letter to the Colossians. Now, he wrote this letter to the people in a new church. You might think of the city of Colossae and his audience that he was writing to as sort of a church plant in a new place. And it went pretty well at first, and then these people got off track. And word got back to Paul that they were getting it wrong, They were getting it wrong. They were messing up pretty badly. Paul was in a prison in Rome at the time, but word traveled back to him. He wrote this letter to the people of Colossae and had it hand-delivered to them because there was no FedEx back then. So Paul heard that they needed some correction. The Colossians needed some wisdom nuggets dropped on them to help fix things. They were taking Jesus-based Christianity and mixing it with paganism and concocting it and adjusting it to fit the way they wanted to live, not the way Jesus taught that we should live. So that's, that's why Paul was motivated to write this letter. So Paul's letter speaks to, as you look at it and you read the book, Colossians 3, he is writing to masters and slaves. So all of us, whatever, however we view ourselves. And even though we're not literally slaves at work, we might have a tough boss, a tough master that we can absolutely apply this lesson and its wisdom. So Colossians 3.23, we see it up on screen here, that whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You are serving the Lord Christ. There's a ton of wisdom packed into that scripture. We're going to unpack it. We're going to see, we're going to interpret what was his message For the Colossians, there's several wisdom nuggets to unpack there. Number one, he said, look, people, don't get so hung up on your plight. Your master's not your master. You're not working for the person that's telling you to get back to work stitching those tent panels together. No, your master is the Lord Christ. He wanted wanted the Colossians to reframe their thinking and to think beyond their current situation at work, no matter how bad their job was. My wife, Lisa, worked at a job at a period of time where she was a remote worker, way before remote was cool. 
It was isolating, lonely, and I can remember during that period of time, she had this verse, Colossians 3.23, taped up on her computer monitor the whole time, and I realize now what a life raft that was, what a life preserver that was for her navigating through a tough sea and a difficult journey. Let me jump ahead. As you heard, I got this wrong for most of my life, and I think the mistakes I made are not uncommon. I had a few glaring blind spots. You, you could hear clearly that work was my identity. Big mistake. That's a big blind spot. That's not my identity, but I sure thought it was at the time. I wanted to be CEO, business leader, vice president, entrepreneur, on and on. Recognition, craved it, wanted all of it. So, 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 so thin and, and not important. I wasn't working for the Lord. I wasn't serving him. I was selfish and clueless and worshiping work. So work was not only my identity, it was my idol. Work is a fickle idol. If you hear nothing else today, work is a fickle, fickle, terrible identity and an even worse idol. This all came crashing down for me, of course, right? It does for every person, every single time. Here's what it looks like. Sick, divorced, jobless, lonely, broke, or maybe some combination of multiple of those. Every single time. You heard my low point. Now let me give you my turning point. I came here to River Ridge with my family in 2010. I surrendered my life to Christ. I was, I, I, as a kid, I was christened in the church, but I wasn't living with Christ, leading, didn't have a relationship with him. In 2010, I surrendered my life, and I said, Jesus, I'm giving this over to you. I need you to lead because I'm, I've failed and I'm, I'm in trouble. So I prayed for him to do that, and he did it. He did it. Lisa and I and our kids came here to River Ridge in January 2011. I recommitted my life to Christ, and I was baptized right here on this stage in February 2012. Praise the Lord that he redeemed me and would take me back. God began helping me grow and gain wisdom. He helped me to begin to understand what's in this book, to understand it and apply it. He and the men of River Ridge helped me to learn how to be a better husband, how to serve my family and my wife. Today, I idolize one thing and one thing only, the Lord our God. Sure, work is important. I really, 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 really like my current job. I do. But it won't consume me or define me. It's not who I am. My family's way important, and God even more so. Here's the first nugget of wisdom to write down as we click off these five nuggets for you to take home. Number one, God wants us to worship Him, not our work. That's number one. You say, okay, fair point, Skip. That sounds good on paper, but what's changed? How did you do that? What's different in your life? Well, I finally learned how to take my faith to work. Let's unpack what that looks like. Let's go ahead, while you got your sheet out, let's go ahead and give you number two, because we're going to build that out. That helps to make the point here. Wisdom nugget number two. God will guide us in our work, just as he does in all the other aspects of our lives. Colossians 3.23 tells us that God wants us to work in a manner that honors him. Tells us we're serving him, literally, the Lord Christ. Wouldn't he want to help us do that? It's just common sense. God wouldn't work against himself. He doesn't operate that way. So here's a big idea for you. What if each day, before we get out of bed, before we fire up the laptop, before we look at our phone, before our feet hit the carpet of the bedroom floor, we just said, God, today, do a little prayer. God, today is yours. I give it to you, my time, my work. It's all yours. What would you have for me to do today? What idea do you have for me? Open my eyes to see someone that I can serve today, Lord. Someone who I can serve as your hands and feet. 
That's how we would ask him to guide our day. What if we did it every day? We build out that habit. I invite you to build that habit with me. I just started doing it after Matt gave me this assignment. And it works. He's been showing me people to help. People that I probably would have missed otherwise. Let's zoom in a little more closely. How do we take our faith to work? Let's unpack more of that wonderful passage from Colossians 3. The first phrase, Aaron, if we could put it back up on screen one more time. Whatever you do, work heartily. Whatever you do, so that's all of us. We went through all those different work contexts. Whatever you do, whatever is your work, do it heartily, okay? God cares less about what we do and much more about how we do it. This lesson applies to all of us. Whether we love our work or hate it, we all have an opportunity to honor and glorify God. We can do that through work that's worshipful work. It's how we go about our work. Here's one application of that. Work refines us. We face challenges and adversity, don't we? We face challenges and adversity all the time at work. All the time. How do we respond? How do we process that? Do we get aggressive? Do we feel hurt? Are we corporate in how we respond? Or do we respond with Christian values? If we were to look in corporate America, any policy manual, we'd find corporate values that include something like skillful, productive, inclusive, transparent. If we look in this book, and those are fine, there's nothing wrong with those, but if we jump back about 12 verses, we'd find a Christian values that include compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, gratitude. To me, these describe what are the missing ingredients, missing ingredients, what's often absent from work. Attitudes that we tend to leave at home or at church here. These are values we could take to work. A second application of being worshipful in our work, a lot of people I know at work get really upset or triggered about unfairness. Unfairness, it's very, it's very unfair. We hate it. I mean, we just do. Maybe you're underpaid, undervalued. Uh, you were passed up for a promotion or someone got appointed to that, that uh, exciting new task force and it wasn't you, okay? How do we respond? Could we respond in a way that's gentle, forgiving, patient? Hey, maybe it wasn't my time. Oh, good for them. Um, God, I'm willing to wait. Maybe you have something else for me to learn here. So the third nugget of wisdom on your page, number three, we will live out our faith at work. Live out. How many of you thought it was live out of a backpack at work? How many of you thought it was we will live out of a cubicle at work? Now, we will live out our faith at work. All right, as we, as we move along toward quitting time, Let's not forget about the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 tells us that in him also, when you heard the word of truth, all you who believe, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So what does this mean? It means God goes to work for us, goes to work with us every single day in the form of the Holy Spirit. He's right there with us. Fingers on the keyboard right beside yours. He's right there when you need him for help, for guidance, when you need to ask him for advice. He doesn't stay at home. He doesn't stay in your Bible. God's with you. A portion of the Holy Trinity was injected into you and into your soul the moment that you believed and accepted Christ. So he's with you. Let's tap into that, right? Let's recognize that and tap into that. And number four, as you're following along, fourth wisdom nugget, God goes to work with us every day. All right, we're finishing up. Wisdom nugget number five is coming up. But first, a question. How many of you do things before you go to work to keep you from being stinky? Show of hands. 
How many of you actively work against being stinky before you go to work? That's 100%. That's awesome. We all know that. Like, hygiene is good. We learned that in, what, second grade? Good. Good for you. Did you know that, aside from your bodily self and your bodily aroma, that you have a spiritual aroma? You do. You really do. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. Another of Paul's letters. We're leaning really heavily on Paul here today, aren't we? It says this, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So we believers are the aroma of Christ. Have you ever been in the presence of someone whose aroma is like way too much Axe body spray or asphyxiation by Bath and Body Works, freesia? It's like, whoa, hug with caution, social distancing, no problem. We all have an aroma at work. We could be aware of it. What aroma are we getting, giving off? Is it subtle, inviting, attractive, pleasing? Is it corporate, aggressive, guarded, arrogant, or too churchy, right? You can go too far in either direction. Manage your aroma. Manage your aroma. And number five, wisdom nugget number five, we will wear a pleasant aroma to work. When you do this and you do it in a genuine way, What's going to happen? What's going to happen to you is what happened to my friend Travis, who often hears this at work. They say to him at work, Travis, you always seem so calm and hopeful. No matter what happens, you're always the one to speak the silver lining, the upside opportunity. Why are you so calm? Why are you so different? What makes you that way? And there you are, Travis or you. You find yourself with an open door opportunity to share with someone the difference that Christ has made in your life. You can tell them about Jesus. Start by asking if they know anything about Jesus. Have they accepted him as their Savior? If that's you today, if you're here with us or you're watching online, if you're here with us, come up over here afterwards if you'd like to accept Christ today. It's super simple and easy. And we'll do it in a way that's not embarrassing. I promise you we'll do it quietly and discreetly. If you're online, let one of our chat hosts know that you'd like to accept Christ today. And we'll take care of that for you privately. So, What's your aroma? What was Travis's aroma? What's yours going to be like going forward? Let me pray for us today. Pray us out. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that illuminates and reveals wisdom for us. Bless us with openness to let these lessons penetrate our minds, hearts, and souls. God, we ask this to, be, to love our neighbors better, to impart your aroma to others as we go about our work. Act and move inside each of us, God, to convert these wisdom nuggets from head knowledge to action steps. Amen.